So what were you telling me about this wizard thing, Helen? I just said that I put on my robe and wizard hat. Like you I have do a at robe the beginning of every hats? podcast. When were you going to tell us this? Like, what kind of magic can you do? Oh, I can do all sorts of magic. <laughs> well, name me, name me, name me some like magical skills. Like, are, can you do necromancy? Um, can you do divin- divination? Like, wh- what is it? Can you do? Well, I can kill one man every ten years, and um, I actually just recently used this power um, to uh, infect someone with lung cancer. I don't know if you guys have heard of him, but he died recently. Um, just like a, that one was a personal uh, issue that I had. Apparently, I think he was named the the rushing bog with like, you know, he had a lot of limbs or something, you know, maybe like a spider. Do you happen to know if, do you happen to know if he was related to you, Doc Spider? Fuck no. Absolutely not. (laughs) I'd like to die that uh, assertion vehemently. I I just, are you sure sure he's not like like a distant cousin? I, I just didn't like him because I felt he gave a bad name to opiate addicts, you know? Like, well, you like could say he was, he was, he was gentrifying junkie. opiate addiction. So, like, why did you kill him back in, like, the Clinton administration or something? Well, yeah, because I used... That's my question here. I used <laughs> my kill on fucking... On, um, what's his name? Yeltsin. So. Fair. Sorry. <laughs> no, yeah. fair. That's fair. <laughs> For everybody very confused right now, we are talking and celebrating about the death of Rush Limbaugh. May his grave be a gender neutral bathroom forever and ever. You know, yeah. be, these are your hosts. Odd. We have the doc. Hello. Hello, doc. Um, parent, he says he doesn't have many limbs, but I do not believe him. There's definitely some spider legs under there. Um, we have uh, Miss Silver. Hello. And we have, you know, the great and powerful St. Helen. Hello. <laughs> oh, I mean, uh, hello. Radio. And it's me, your gal, the one and only, the Harley Quinn! <laughs> you know, I thought you would, like, slow down on this bit at some point, but, like, you truly have not. <laughs> you just keep leaning further and further into it. Not that that's a bad I, really, I refuse a... to give up on this. <laughs> the next step is getting hyenas. Well, uh, I want to take them to Texas. Hear about what happened there. What happened in Texas? Oh boy. <laughs> Everything froze. <I> think... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I feel like we all know what happened.
just a little bit. Like, Texas is kind of, kind of in a bad spot, I would say. It, it's got a little mm-hmm. Frostpunk. Just a bit. Frostpunk. Okay. Let's say hypothetically, I was trying to find some hyenas, and I was just separate from all the rest of civilization. Um, and let's say I did not hear any news about what's happening in Texas. Uh, did somebody have, you know, one too many 10-gallon hats or something? What happened in Texas? I mean, you could well, say that there was one too many 10-gallon hats worth of icy precipitation. Well, there was, yeah, well, first there was, like, there was that huge fucking wreck on um, I-35 in Fort Worth that took out, like, 135 cars, killed six people, at least, injured dozens, Um, all because... They kind of skimped on clearing the tollway, and um, someone had oopsie, and then um, everyone had oopsie. So can we define what we mean here by an oopsie? Because, I mean, this is definitely me having a bit, because I know what has happened, but for people that they have been under a rock... What has happened in Texas? Like, there's obviously been this big, like, car accident, and we have this big oopsie. So what's happening with the infrastructure in Texas? I'm Googling Is- Texas oopsie right now. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, um, the power went out because of a 10-year um, ice storm. Um, this has happened before. There was a big, nasty fucking ice storm back in 2011. Um, and, well, it happened again. This time, even worse. Um, much more than just a Dallas area was affected. It was like, in no county was immune. And the electrical <coughs> nearly completely um, as it was, you know, a lot of the infrastructure just completely shit itself. Um, things like um, cold water lines <coughs> freezing, um, water intakes freezing on thermal plants, um, natural gas pressure was lost because the um, pipelines were getting too cold. Um, Really, all sorts of bad stuff happened. Um, and, like, yeah, this happens in other states, too. Um, and, like, you know, obviously the entire Midwest is doing the fallout of this shit. But Texas is special. Um, Texas burst a, wa- a lot of water pains because they're not winterized. They also lost grid power for most of the state. Uh, they've been, you know, in rolling blackout conditions. And there was no relief because Texas, apart from a few counties in the west and north, 
is on its own power. Completely independent. Brought to you by the geniuses at Because don't mess with taxes. I, I'm only partly joking there. <laughs> um, ERCOT, it, well, the way ERCOT came out of the whole deregulation thing, and we're going to get into this in a, you know, actual special on, like, you know, the Texas and California grid fuck-ups. Yeah, um, I think we should wait to do that and, like, yeah, yeah, what, until what, 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 Texas has resolved the current situation. Are they going to resolve it, though? Are they? Like, <laughs> I think if we wait till, till it resolves, well, we're not going to be doing a special. <laughs> well, well it would be more of a post-mortem, but, I mean, it's like, the whole ERCOT thing was, like, premised on this, um, you know, deregulation bit that um, Bush the first went through. Um, <coughs> and Ever since, Texas and California and even Oregon have been paying the price. Because, yeah. But this is power deregulation. This is like the Enron rolling blackouts in California that happened in like 2000, 2001. Um, mm-hmm. Didn't even need weather to see yep. like unprecedented utility bills, people paying in like the thousands of dollars. Like, granted, we're not talking like, you know, Ten to fifteen thousand dollar bills, which are totally being dropped on people in Texas. By the way, like we're talking <coughs> residential power bills, not like, oh hi, I so run wait. a fuck you Tesla, um, uh, like so ten derby ten thousand dollars of what, like monopoly money, or are we talking about like Chuck E. Cheese tokens? Like, oh, we're talking what kind the of real money deal. is this? The real. Yeah, $10,000 is not a small penny here. Actual actual money. Um, This is, yeah. Yeah, 16K. Because what happened, what happened was basically um, ERCOT was told by the government that, um, well, clearly you're not putting enough capacity on the grid. Um, We're going to let you in if you have to, you have to. You have to bump it up to like $9,000 per megawatt hour um, to get the electricity market flowing again. And it's like, it's a capacity problem, but that didn't stop the, um, that didn't stop the generators from like charging for like a day or two, like $9,000 a kilowatt hour. So like... Basically ninety dollars per kilowatt hour, as opposed to like a few cents. Yeah, and there's oil and gas yeah. companies who are like crowing about making a huge nut from what's oh, happening yeah. in Texas. They were, they were so excited. Um, they would have probably been able to make even more if like they if some of their plants hadn't lost water. Um. But as it was, <laughs> they need bank on this fucking crisis. And it's just the, the thing about this that, like, I just find so baffling. It's just like, like, great. 
like, from your perspective, you made a lot of money, and, like, so that fulfills sort of the capitalist logic that you're operating according to, but, like, don't publicly brag about how much money you made. Are you... Yeah. Do you know how it looks? When most of Texas is out of power? And freezing. When, like... Literally. Yeah, and freezing, Mm -hmm. and, like, the water pipes have burst? Like this is Texas is not is not collapsing. Texas de facto, if we define power state power as you know dependent on infrastructure, and the infrastructure in Texas has just completely collapsed, and it's very very likely even if parts of Texas get repaired, that like there's gonna be a lot of areas that simply just don't see like don't see repairs because the money for infrastructure like even just basic repair costs is just not there, especially in Texas. Like, you know. The, Texas has de facto has collapsed, and you are bragging about how much money you've made. Are you trying to get people to bring out the guillotines? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how that's... it goes. Like they, they, like they really. I've said this probably a hundred times. Um, but they really, truly do do think that there cannot be consequences. Like, they think that as long as whatever they did was legal at the time, then they're good. They're absolutely Oh, good. yeah. It's total it Versailles logic. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's like, you know, I'll be gone, he'll be gone. You know, Ted Cruz wandering off to keep um, in the middle of, like, you know, total infrastructure collapse. Um, because it's like, I mean, who is going to pay for winterizing, you know, all of the Texas housing stock, preparing the grid for another extreme winter event, which will probably happen again either next year or in the next couple of years, because that's apparently the way we live in now. Just saying. Ben's saying it. The answer is... They're not going to pay for it. Uh, can we also talk about how close the power grid just got to shattering just completely? Oh, yeah. Like, this is, yeah. The, this is, like, the point where we're looking at cascading failure. We're looking at this will require massive New Deal and beyond levels of intervention to effectively repair in a timely yeah. fashion. Like, And we're already seeing the Hurricane Katrina <laughs> bullshit is happening again because there's <laughs> the federal Texas. Uh, yeah, this is literally just like <laughs> this is literally Katrina on a much wider scale, and oh, it's yeah. likely like, not going to be resolved as quickly as Katrina got resolved. And that's like Katrina was very bad, but like this is on a whole other scale. Like this is Katrina for the entire state of Texas, and we can yeah, see, and we can see that same kind of no fucks attitude is already on display in how there's homes which are going without heat where people's pipes have burst and they are blocks away from brightly lit heated empty office buildings it's already happening and so yeah like, i mean it's not like, it's not even and shit lives unfair <laughs> Like, it's not even unfair at this point. I mean, it's like. To point out, this is Katrina shit. It's very clear to see just how, like, like the dynamic of, like, class and race that are, you know, 
who has power and like water in Texas right now and who doesn't. And the thing that just makes me so angry is that outside of Texas, you have all these shit libs and tech and lanyards and just all these people who like are just crowing about like, oh, you know, like Texas deserves this, like for like electing Republicans. Like, of course it was happened. It's just like, okay, first of all, Texas is, you know, controlled by by the plantation clique. The plantation clique does not have popular support in Texas. That is a very, very common misconception. Like, the people of Texas do not deserve what is happening to them. And if you are crowing about, like, oh, the people in Texas are, are suffering, like, honestly, fuck you and suck my dick. If you think that, I do not want to work with you, and I do not want to ever see you. It just makes me really fucking angry. Yeah. Yeah, I... I gotta say, as... I think, um... Me and Silver have been, uh... Rural red state inhabitants before. And... Oh, yeah. It, like, those places are ruled by... A cast of, like, gentry. It's not like... It's, it's not like the people there are like in control of the political apparatus you know yeah. it's like, like people have nothing to do with the day-to-day functioning of the government it's about who is in a particular founder's clique and who is not and if you have to ask am I part of the founder's clique the answer is no yes if you want to know who's in that clique, if you if you if you live in a rural area like I live in a rural area currently, thankfully not in a red state, not in a state that's controlled by the plantation clique, but the town definitely is. And uh, and if you want to know who the plantation clique is, look for the people in the very very fancy pickup trucks that just have all these you know fancy gizmos on it that have the really really bright lights. Who like you know ride? Who like ride your ass when you're driving as close as possible? Who are very very rude when they're driving? If if they're driving a car like that in that way, they are definitely a plantation clique. They are definitely part of the founders club. Yeah. Like people in, uh, you'd see these people in uh, towns in Tennessee who were like rolling around in like Mercedes SUVs from the mid-late 2000s. Partly because they were cheap, but also because they were, um, you know, they were luxury things. They, they commuted class and power and um, my mom is going to suffer if we don't collect your <laughs> yeah, which means you are going to suffer. <laughs> like that's you know the basic like mindset um, of these people. It's like we're talking about like the remnants of old money. Um, I mean, and, this like is... there's all this. Yeah. yeah, 
I mean, this is the literal, you know, des descendants of the genteel southern aristocracy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Some of them. I mean, it's like... Some of them, like... Well, some of them, but, like... A good chunk are... I'm saying that sort of ideologically they are. Oh, ideologically, totally. And, and a good chunk of them are also basically, like, jumped up nouveau riche whose, like, grandfather made his money as, like, a timber baron or something, too. It's like... But they're not the, like... They want to be the real old money, like the ones who legitimately go, yes, I own several senators. How about you? Um, but they can't have that. Three senators and two house reps. <laughs> yeah, but they can't. So they settle for, you know, state senators and hating the true, like, massive oligarch old money types that really swing their dicks around. Yeah. So it's like a lot of and like the thing with Texas politics is that you know, sort of imagine that dynamic, but at, you know, the actual state level. Like this is you know, basically founders, nouveau riche, people like that. Um who basically get to hold state hostage um, for the interests of oil companies. Um, and, like, you know, the whole push towards deregulation was this idea that, like, um, infrastructure, like, um, you know, water pumps and hydro plants, coal, um, you know, electric substations, things like that, they were considered gold-plated because the maintenance was paid on them. You see, you're not really... You're leaving money on the table if you actually pay for the maintenance. Um, and so deregulation was meant to combat this um, waste of money known as maintenance. Um, the uh, power can, can you repeat that word? Uh, maintenance? Like... Is this some sort of sacred ritual? Like, you know, it doesn't actually accomplish anything beyond, you know, filling the money of con of, of contractors. Like, what is this maintenance? Like, what it is it It sounds like involve? a European word. Like, is that French? Because <laughs> uh, I'm not familiar with it being an American. Like, how, how does this, you know, connect with the real Americans, the Wall Street traders who are just trying to make an honest buck? You know, in order to get more yachts and mansions, what is? Can you explain what this uh, this maintenance is? I just don't know. I mean, it's like you know how you're supposed to like wash a glass after you use it. That's that's maintenance. Um, you 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 don't buy a new glass. No. Okay. Okay. Well, here's my proposal. We securitize. The washing of the glass, and then we securitize the bets on the wash on that securitization, and we just keep securitizing until we have an entire economy based off of washing a glass. Ooh. How does I'd that say connect that to the maintenance? Instead of washing a glass, we should um, we should uh, we should sell insurance policies on if someone doesn't wash a glass. And like an insurance policy based on dirty glasses, and then 
we bundle the liabilities from those policies and uh, we sell them uh, to subprime lenders and uh, debt collectors so that we don't have to actually wash dishes and no one actually has to pay out when the dishes aren't washed. Okay, here's my proposal. Obviously, somebody has to use these glasses. What if we separate it so the people who, you know, are in charge of washing the glasses, so, um, obviously they shouldn't just wash the glasses, but the people who are in charge of washing the glasses, we have people who, are, who do that, um, but they're not the ones who charge the people who use the glasses. We have a separate company that charges the people who use the glasses. Let's just wash the fucking glass. But that doesn't make money. Exactly. And obviously this is a drawn out metaphor, but like literally that is a thing that they did with the grid is like they had it. So the people who are maintaining the infrastructure in Texas, like were you know, the electrical infrastructure were separate from the company that was getting money for like, you know, like charging customers to use this infrastructure. Oh yeah. Like it's a whole fucking mess of little fiefdoms, none of which actually fucking cooperate. And like the reason why ERCOT is crowing about like oh well we didn't, you know, trash the grid completely. Uh, some people dismiss that, but, like, that was a very real possibility. Um, if grid production drops too low, bad things start happening. Um, and like the investors the, don't get know, their money? Like, that kind of mm-hmm. bad things? Like, you know, imagine, like, all those HV transformers and all those substations. Um, and transmission lines just being completely fine. So yeah, that's where shit's at <laughs> with Texas. Um, yeah, that's that's basically it. It's they nearly destroyed the Texas grid entirely, which would take months to repair. And um, realistically, if they had destroyed if they had, like, destroyed the entire grid, I mean, it's already extremely damaged now, but if they had, like, if they hadn't shut off the grid when they did, when they did blackouts when they did, like, realistically, it would have taken months to repair. There have been huge sections they would just never have repaired. Oh, yeah. And it's like, you cut off the water, you cut off the power, um, and you cut off the, uh, the power, you cut off the water, and it's like, in a few months, they're good. Well, not a few months, more like uh, seven, eight. They're going to be on, you know, peak electrical demand for summer, which is, you know, air conditioning season. And Texas is not the sort of place you want to inhabit during air conditioner season when there's no power. I mean, people, people joke about, like, oh, you don't really need air conditioning. Fuck you. That's, that's not how it works down there. Um, the short of it is that it is not looking great in Texas right now. We cannot, overst- we cannot overstate that. It is very bad. We could talk about this for an hour. Um, 
but we have a special that we're gonna be doing on that. Um, so, um, let's move on, I guess? Uh... Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Next, we got plague news. Right. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Are we still in a death plague? I, you know, I, I was, you know, hiding under a rock for like about a week. Like, are, are we still, you know, singing praises to Nurgle? You know, the plague father. You know, blessed mm-hmm. be his name. Yeah. yeah. Pretty much. Basically, so, yeah. That seems to be uh, how things are going. Yeah, and as. We're sure anyone watching SNL can tell you this is leading to some very fucked up policies in Palestine at the moment. Yep. So, would anyone care to, like, dig into that shit? So, short version, very, very short version, the one that keeps me from flipping my shit, um, the Israeli government has been boasting about their rapid rollout of their vaccination program to the Israeli population and including um, Israelis living on settlements in the West Bank while offering at best, I think so far, something like 3,000 total doses to the Palestinians. And then turning around and saying, well, it's all their fault because it's the Palestinian Authority's job to run the healthcare system, even though we have them under crippling sanctions and blockades in Gaza and generally make it impossible for them to trade with the outside world or, you know, build a functioning pharmaceutical industry. But hey, you know. Also, legally speaking, like when it comes to international law, like technically, if you are an occupying power, it is your responsibility to do this. You can't just point to you. You can't just point to the Palestinian Authority and just be like, "Well, you know, it's their job." It's just like, "Oh, so when it's like the stuff that's like seriously important, like that, you know, they have to do it." But when like when it actually helps people, they have to do it. But when it comes to maintaining the occupation, like of this settler colony, like suddenly, like, "Oh, you you, ha- you have all the power." Like, what is it? Tell me this. And, like, before somebody excuses me of being anti-Semitic, I am literally a Sephardi Jew. And if you come if you come at me, I can point you at a long history of how Sephardim and Mizrahim have been treated in Israel. So do not fucking start. Yeah, right now, Israel's doing the thing. Like, they're, like, uh, Schrodinger's occupier, where when Palestine needs... Uh, vaccines and stuff they aren't occupying Palestine you know uh, but when Palestine needs to uh, like I don't know make a trade agreement or have control over its own borders then they're occupied like it's it's really a um, it's a really fucked up situation and like, so, right now, they're not distributing vaccines, and they're like, oh, that's the Palestinian Authority's responsibility. And Palestinian Authority's trying to, but it doesn't really have the authority to, or basically. the resources. The ability. <laughs> they, like, they, they don't have the ability, because they don't have control over, they don't have actual control over, like, their borders, 
like customs and stuff. They don't have control over that. They don't have control over like tax collection. Basically, they can kind of do that. You know, they don't have control over their own currency. There's all sorts of stuff that the Palestinian Authority, like they can't negotiate a real trade deal because of the occupation. They barely control their water in large chunks of the West Bank. Like, yeah, in, in the West Bank, they they largely do not control the water supply. So yeah, this is totally Israel putting a foot on the gas pedal there by denying vaccine relief, and there's already been, like, earlier reporting of the Palestinian territories suffering just absolutely horrific infection rates, largely because the Israeli government has been like, well, shame that's happening. There's really nothing we seem to be able to do about this. It's your problem. Like, keep in mind, this is not, you know, like, Israel going like, well, you know, like, you know, it, it, it sucks, it's bad, but there's nothing we can do about it. There are generally things that they could do about it if they were to hold to their legal obligations according to international law and just basic halakha. Like, this is literally, you know, so against, like, the principles of Jewish ethics, against, like, prakaya vote, against what these sages would have said, have, like, said in the past. And, like, if somebody comes at me, I will literally recite the prakaya vote to you. Like, if you are going to act like, you know, you know, a Zionist defender, I will come for you. Um, but here's the thing is, like, the only reason why, like, it's not as, like, bad as it could be is because Egypt, you know, is in the corner where they're basically, you know, deliver, like, they're starting to deliver more and more vaccines to the Palestinian Authority. So it's, like, despite Israel's attempt uh you know accelerating the rate of ethnic cleansing of the west bank and gaza like thankfully egypt is sending vaccines like it just recently started um but like keep in mind when i say ethnic cleansing i am not you know exaggerating i am not being dramatic they are like they want that land like according to the whole zionist conception like they want all of the west bank they want all of, of gaza they see that as you know as part of like the unified organic whole of Israel because, you know, supposedly God promised that all of that. And it's just like, I find it ex- extremely absurd. Like, it has no basis in halakha. And meanwhile, in uh, Los Angeles, there's reports of the codes for vaccines that have been originally earmarked for uh, Black and uh, Latinx communities in LA are being sort of discreetly hawked out of back alleys to the highest bidder. Usually tends to be rich and white. Mm-hmm. They're, um, they are, people uh, are selling vaccine codes, and they're getting into the hands of fucking the fucking jogger types who are in the fucking Hollywood Hills. You know, like, it's, it's pretty bad. Kind of people with maids, you know? Um, it's upsetting, because that is... It's such a fucking cyberpunk thing to happen, is that there's a, there's a pandemic, and you get a cool little code issued to you. 
to get your vaccine. And it's it's so weird that like the the whole distribution schemes in like every single US state, you know? They're all very like absurd. I don't know. That there's there's all these like tiers and there's all these complex ways of acquiring a vaccine appointment or a code to get a vaccine appointment or and instead of doing the system that's worked for hundreds of years which is you open clinics and you give people vaccines <laughs> like it, it, it's all this huge massive craft you know? Yeah. It's like, you're neglecting the fact that there has to be graphs, there has to be someone monetizing um, you know, the collection of healthcare information. Well, well um, you, you see what they're doing is they're, um, they're disrupting the vaccine market. Don't you understand yes, that? Yes! Yes! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's like this is yeah, creative destruction that Silicon Valley has done for you know for a long time. Isn't isn't this a good thing, Miss Silver? No, <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, the whole point of this scheme is to make sure that rich assholes can't jump the fucking line, and instead, it because they. Because they built it the way they built it, um, you can resell the code and get yourself an appointment. Now, of course, if it's if you're caught doing that, then you know the code is invalid, um, and you know you just get punted back to the back of the line. But there have been people who've gotten it under this. I mean, it's like, I'm fine with the whole, you know, vaccine scavenging thing. Um, it's like, our system for distributing vaccines is so dysfunctional that, you know, we might as well get every dose into arms. But this isn't that. This is just them being like, no, we're just going to make this system gameable. So. So that the donors, you know, get their vaccines first. It's so fucking irritating. Oh, I hate this. I hate this so much. Speaking of fuckery, Amazon has decided to really up its game in Alabama. Especially like the traffic lights one, because 
like part of why they were oh, doing yeah. part of why they did that is because they're like the union workers there have been using you know carpooling as a form of like off the job organizing and usually they'll do like the union pitch and like seriously talk about organizing when they're stopped at traffic lights so amazon having learned this decided the best solution to the problem was to literally fuck with the town's traffic direction system so that people going to and from the amazon uh warehouse distribution center wouldn't be spending as much time stopped at lights which made you know all kinds of fun like people nearly getting like run down um all kinds of fun, stupid shit. Because, hey, we're, like, reducing the red lights to three seconds and encouraging Autobahn shit. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's like they really do not want this election to go well. They've been, they've been trying all sorts of shit. This is... Ugh. Honestly, it's not even, like, the most surprising thing they've been like basically outright they've been outright inviting people to quit until the election um, is complete and then they will be rehired funny story down the line with a (laughs) funny story with a bonus so funny story uh, I worked for all of like one shift before going, holy fuck, this is COVID central as an Amazon Prime shopper. And oh jeez. Funny so funny enough, as all this shit's heating up, I got a check in the mail. From Amazon. Like just after I like I was effectively laid off because I only worked one shift and after like 90 days they were like, Yeah, fuck it, we're dropping you off the rolls. And they emailed me this like a week ago, and now just like a couple days ago, they sent a fucking check that was like easily worth at least a month's wages there. As proactive wow. pay. <laughs> Which apparently is a thing is like... that they've been doing. But it's kind of funny that that's happening now just when like a distribution center they can't just shut down to make the union go away is... Well, why can't they shut it down? Because it's a vital cog because in the machine. Yeah, also, I mean, um, like... importantly, is that like the Biden administration is not cooperating with Amazon. Biden's one thing, like Biden, for all, all anyone can say about him, he truly is one of those old school 60s, 70s Democrats. And he is definitely, I identified his base as organized labor. Like, that's his political, uh, that's who he thinks is his political, main political support. And it goes back to, like, his first election where the Teamsters basically rigged the election for him to become senator. (laughs) And so he's, like, he's pro-union. And more so than anyone since probably LBJ in terms of presidents. And so uh, Amazon has been having a hard time with his Department of Labor. And what's especially fun with this, and 
going back more on why they can't just shut this plant down and pull a Walmart or a Starbucks is the Bessemer plant in Alabama is pretty much essential to their distribution operations throughout the region. If they shut it down, they will eat a raft of shit. (laughs) And if the workers shut it down, they would be taking a gigantic shit on Jeff Bezos' face. Oh, yeah. Like, this isn't... Uh, this isn't like the Rust Belt where they can probably find a new host for the for the distribution center um, within like a week or something. Like there is not a lot of infrastructure of that nature. Um, Amazon pretty much had to make it there. So if Bessemer is taken offline, they're fucked. <laughs> Yeah, and they will be able to meet those contractual two-day shipping guarantees. And importantly, um, package shipping for like the logistics of package shipping is very hard. <laughs> it's it's hard to do because you it's not like um, it's not like shipping uh, cargo. Where you just mm-hmm. put all of the things in a big giant intermodal, and then you make sure the intermodal gets to where it needs to go, and then that's handled. You know, mm-hmm. this is Amazon has like a source to end user system they have to put together, and they have not been doing a very good job of that, which is why they rely so much on UPS and USPS for. Uh, delivery. They've not been doing too good at it. They've so far lost more money developing their own system than UPS would have cost to contract. And so if they do shut that, that down, it could potentially collapse their whole logistical system. Basically, from the sounds of it, and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but it sounds like part of the reason why this is so complicated compared to just, like, regular, like, industrial-style shipping, where you have this, like, you know, pre-set-up infrastructure, and you have, like, that, like, runs along, you know, preset lines. I mean, like, it sounds like, you know, why it's different here is, like, what's known as the last mile problem. Where it's like, you know, you can transport stuff like on the main lines, like the trucks, the trains, the planes, all of that. But, you know, it's getting like to all these places, all these different houses, all these different apartments. That is logistically incredibly complicated and very hard. And it's been something that like private companies have been trying to crack for a long time. But realistically, only the UPS can do it and do it well. And the Postal Service. Uh But they're not a private company. So, you know, pay no mind to that aspect of the American supply chain system. Yeah, <laughs> pay no mind exactly. to that socialism. Oh, there. yeah, obviously. <sighs> yep. So, basically, Amazon, if they are quite likely to lose this vote, 
and they can't do anything to stop it, because the workers actually have all the power. <laughs> they, they're, they're, they have to rely to dirty lowdown tricks, and um, honestly, the real the real thing is that they might have to try to go back to like some 1892 shit where they like have armed guards fire people on mass you know like um which could result in you know <laughs> a fucking gunfight but um that's like all that there really isn't much more to say about Amazon. We've been keeping up on it a lot. Uh, and it's pretty great to see. Well, uh, it's it's a long process because it is a very large uh, workplace. And the COVID restrictions make it uh, a bit harder to collect all of the bets. Let me check right now. Um, am I? Am I still here? Okay. Yeah, you yeah. cut. You cut off when you're talking about COVID restrictions. Oh well, basically, um, the it's it's taking a lot longer than a normal union vote because of the COVID restrictions, but um, like. After March 30th, we should be getting results. So in a in another month, it'll be all the votes should be in and counted. Yeah. So good luck yep. to them. At least better luck yeah. than the Fed's enjoying lately. <laughs> yep. It's uh. This is actually good for Bitcoin because <laughs> spins the wheel. <laughs> yeah, well, no, we did actually have news that was good for Bitcoin because the uh, the federal system for like sending money, like the Federal Reserve system, did go down shortly. Yeah, Fedwire went down for like several hours, and um, and finance flipped their shit quite predictably. Oh yeah. Yeah, I so, mean, like, how am I supposed to get my tax refund direct deposited without, without the, with, without, without it? It's very, very rude of them to do that. So, do we know why this happened? Like, why did the money printer temporarily uh, run out of ink? Because the computer system that makes it all work crashed. Yeah, they they Somebody probably fat fingered something. The system didn't like that and it basically shut everything down it shut down like didn't just shut down fedwire it shut down like their ach system um fed cash check 21 yeah national settlements basically all of the feds like automatic uh money transfer systems (laughs) yeah and those like those are part of what keep like you know they keep this whole dollar system, you know, alive, functional. That's why we joke that this is good for Bitcoin, because 
Bitcoin didn't go down. Um, I mean, unless you were, you know, trying to use it at, like, a Fed endpoint, in which case, lol. Yeah, no, that, 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 that's actually a good point. That probably took out most of the Bitcoin actual cash-out systems. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, pretty much. You could uh, trade Bitcoins, but not turn them into cash. Um, I'm seeing as that's funny. finance is like the most a, a really like grotesquely oversized chunk of the U.S. GDP. You know, I, I hope you sleep well at night knowing that the beating heart of this absolutely dogshit economy is one fat finger away from a heart attack. Yeah, I mean that's a it's... very fragile system. Like this is what is propping up the stock market right now. This is like as we joked about before is like. This is a system that shoots intense amounts of money into <coughs> orbits. And yeah. that's what has been keeping the stock market alive. That is a fragile system. And, like, fragile systems, like, it just takes one sufficient disruption, as we've seen with COVID and a lot of other systems in our country. You know, one sufficient disruption and... Gotta love like, that capitalist efficiency. Like, a lot of these, like, Wall Street traders, like, they were freaking out because this is a thing that gives them a livelihood. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and it's like, you know, a lot of these systems are very old. They have not been overhauled in decades. Um, a lot of this, a lot of the stuff that we take for granted runs on, like, IBM mainframes. Yeah. Oh god, don't don't tell me Fortran is connected to this. Oh <laughs> god, if these systems run in Fortran, I'm just Oh Fortran would be preferable, to be quite honest with you. Um no, they're written in COBOL. Oh, that's even worse! You get how that's yes! what? Yes! I don't this know is... what that means. <laughs> One of these days I will show you COBOL code and you will you will go insane. You will, you will see beyond the veil as I have seen. Oh, there no. are <laughs> there are horrors that you cannot possibly comprehend. All because they decided that like you should write a program just as you would in human language, except that the human language isn't really designed to express abstract symbol uh, symbolic logic. Um in the way that a, you know, actual computer language should. It was a doomed experiment, and it only persists because people wrote important applications in it, like banks and the feds and the Department of the Treasury. And honestly, like, if you're going to go for the whole aesthetic of, like, oh, it should be extremely readable, just re mm -hmm. just put some fucking money down on the table like, use that money to rewrite these systems in Python or something. But, like, cobalts? Are you... Cobalt, like, decades ago, everybody rolled their eyes about it. It's even worse now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, welcome and to like... our glorious, brilliant capitalist system, which is totally not also doing shit like nuking topsoil. <laughs> Oh, yeah. 
yeah, no, um, things are going good with farming. So good, in fact, that, uh, they don't even need soil anymore. You know, the Midwest? Soil? No longer an issue. They don't need it. They're just gonna grow it directly out of the bedrock. Everything's fine. Mm. No, this is not a dust bowl too. It is merely a, um, disrupt, they're merely disrupting the agricultural model. You know? It, it, it's fine. Fine. Don't, don't divest from Midwest farm. Don't do it. Just because yields are going down and they're never going to come back doesn't mean you have to, you know, stop throwing money at the system. <laughs> and it's totally but for real. not like this props up the global food supply in any significant way. Yeah, the, Uni- the United States is, like, the breadbasket of the world because that has been part of, like, what Pax Americana has done. It's made the rest of the world reliant on American food. Between, no, but for real, like, between the uh, Missouri and the Ohio rivers, that section of the Midwest is one of the most productive agricultural regions in the entire world. Feeds, like, a billion people. And... Like, people have been warning for decades about topsoil erosion there and how they're depleting all the topsoil with their monocultural techniques of cultivating soy and corn and wheat. And it, it, they've been warned for decades, literally, actually, since the New Deal, since the first Dust Bowl, they were like, hey, you should probably fix this. And they've never fixed it. And so we're finally hitting the point where farms are just depleted and they can't grow things even with their fucking piles of fertilizer and pesticide. Because there's uh, nothing to grow in it. Doc, can you walk me through a scenario? Because, you know, you know know all of the esoteric math magic. Like, you seem familiar with, like, commodities. Like, uh, what happens when, you know agricultural production decreases and like not just food prices but all of the other prices of you know of goods that rely on like the raw agricultural output what happens if you know output you know the output of agriculture goes down and prices go up just in the united states and in the broader world oh boy that's called Welcome to the 70s best case scenario where critical commodities suddenly become more expensive, where they're totally taking away your ham sandwiches like they are in Brexit land. Um, You know, the little things, except on a global scale, because, you know, everyone's going to be scrambling to buy chunks of whatever is left. And there's going to be a lot more competition for now a significantly smaller pool of food. I mean, it's not like everybody needs to eat. Everybody doesn't need to eat, right? Yes, yeah, some, you know some of the eaters are useless. That's what I've heard. That's what I've heard. Um, that they're that some of the eaters are useless. Uh, I think one of the people I heard it from was this mayor in Texas, who is. Uh, kind of famous now you know 
<laughs> oh, yeah. But seriously, like, this is like, agriculture is the basis of a political economy. Without, if agriculture gets disrupted, everything else has, there are significant shockwaves that happen that disrupts the entire system. Like, that is like, I can't underestimate how serious this is. The last time we saw food prices rise globally, we had the Arab Spring. Yeah, that's... And, you know, it's not and like honestly, bread riots didn't start other major political upheavals in history. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Totally nothing. Oh, we're stopping now? Was somebody going to tell me? <laughs> so yeah, just you know, as you do. And meanwhile, it looks like Russia and Saudi Arabia have decided their previous round of resolving the whose dick is bigger contest with sausage grinders was not sufficiently decisive, and are going into uh, OPEC plus negotiations this week. Both looking to basically fuck the other one over. Yep. It's a, uh... I mean, like... Like I said in the chats, rev up your dick grinders, because we're going into just some severe oil price war territory. Um, Maybe. Maybe. Uh, Saudi Arabia will uh, give way. Maybe they will because uh, they are the ones who have less power in this situation. Russia can Russia can well, Russia can take the uh, dick grinding a lot better than Saudi Arabia can. In that, like they are already isolated from the world economy, so a lack of foreign investment isn't going to uh, hurt them too much. And they've got a captive audience for their oil um, already. Whereas Saudi Arabia, they have to compete with Mexico and stuff. And... But on the flip side, Saudi Arabia's got a lot more room to really put the screws to Russia here because Saudi oil is the cheapest oil on the planet to like pump, refine, and distribute anywhere. Whereas Russian oil has to sit in this nice, fairly expensive sweet spot of around 40 to 50 a gallon because it's all coming out of the ground in Siberia, which is, you know, only slightly better to work in than Alaska. And Hey, some of you them, know. some of it's coming out of the ground in the Ural Mountains. <laughs> you know, totally hospitable and totally easy to do. Famously hospitable mountains. Um. Yeah. So Saudi Arabia, even though Russia may have more capacity to like crunch this, Saudi Arabia has a lot more room to swing because they can really like up production. They can dramatically outproduce the Russians if they need to for a sprint and create a situation where the Russian state, 
which depends on the oil money flowing appropriately to function can't quite tank. So it's kind of an interesting, like, no one wins from this, by the way. Like, the only thing that will happen is maybe the Saudis will claw back more market share from the Russians, but it will be at the cost of throttling their own foreign exchange reserves and their own revenues while and putting I think, the, look, the thing Russia. is like we need to like keep in context like the recent changes in United States policy like foreign policy towards uh, Saudi Arabia because we've noticed that the Biden administration is a lot more <sighs> how do I put this um they're much less likely to tolerate the bullshit of what Saudi Arabia does than previous administrations have have been. Yeah. um, The Obama administration relied more on Saudi Arabia, and the Trump administration, well, had personal affection for Saudi Arabia. And Biden, the, the strategic use of Saudi Arabia is well it's less useful now than it was 10 years ago and it's also a bigger public relations problem there's Saudi Arabia is not in the Biden administration's good graces so they don't get to pull off a lot of the crap they're used to pulling off which is you know carte blanche whatever they want <laughs> yeah, they've outlived their usefulness, basically. And they're also in a lovely position where it is no longer the 1970s, and the current oil climate would not countenance or be capable of sustaining the kind of price spikes that were used by OPEC to really put the screws to the U.S. back when Biden first came into office. Funny enough, yeah. Biden actually- it's it's almost like Biden remembers the bullshit that they pulled and has nursed a grudge this entire time. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think it's so much a grudge. I think that it's just basic basic competence in statecraft, which is um, something that we forget the U.S. can do. Um, <laughs> and it helps but it is- that he wants to get the hell out of oil anyway. Yeah, like, Biden is hearing from, like, guys like Goldman Sachs that oil is dying and we need to, like, switch. Like, so he, he's he's not, he doesn't seem to be super into oil right now. And, again, that reduces the amount of usefulness that Saudi Arabia has. Which kind of gets us to the other big thing Biden's doing economically that was all you know almost as pleasantly surprising as him going to like not giving saudi arabia the time of day and low-key flexing on the tories over ireland Oh, yeah, the Fenian. Um, <laughs> the Hibernian has finally arrived. 
And that's Just the... Might the eternal Anglo. Um, <laughs> and that, of it's, course, it's is pretty... Biden's totally unsexy review of supply chains in the U.S. Oh, yeah. The uh, This is part of the China war. Miss Silver, do you want to take the lead on this? Because I feel like this is very much your wheelhouse. Well, um, this is where a source is going to be handy, but it's like, I mean, for years now, um, like, you know, the United States de- uh, deindustrialized to the point where, like, large chunks of our logistics chain early depend on China and no other country. Um, parts of it are dependent on, like, you know, South Korea and Malaysia and such, but in the end, so much of it traces back to China that, like, if nothing else, we need to bring back second sourcing. They've sort of realized that, and that means that Wait, imagine yeah. I'm a baby, I'm like a baby. What is second sourcing? Yeah, yeah. Um, imagine I also am ignorant of this. But just just imagine it. It's a hypothetical. It's a hypothetical, but I don't know what this really <laughs> Okay. Um, there might be a more apropos um, economic term for this. Um, I mostly ran into it in the context of like how a semiconductor manufacturing and sourcing used to work. The a lot of companies um, preferred back in the day to have multiple sources for um, any large semiconductor projects they bought. Like for example, Hitachi um, made C- uh, made CPUs that um, Motorola also made. Um, they also made Zillog C80. Like, every... Like, AMD and Cyrix and a couple other companies originally started as, like, second source for Intel's um, CPU business. Oh. Yeah, so... So what you're telling me is that it's, like, this added layer of, like, redundancy... Redundancy existed um, partly to remove these sorts of supply chain pressures that they were worried about because, you know, it was still the Cold War. Um, some, at least some of this was driven by, like, military concerns, but some of this was also driven by commercial concerns because, you know, it's like, you don't really care who makes the processor as long as, you know, it comes in under budget, the errata isn't too weird, and, you know, it meets the power and um, performance specifications, like, there's no real desire for, you know, a genuine Intel 386 if AMD can provide you the same chip for slightly cheaper, or they have it available when Intel sold their supply for the month or, you know, whatever. And it's like, 
a lot of this went away um, because we basically redirected everything, um, like all production, all consumption. We've been pushing more and more towards putting it all in China. We've all put it all in one basket, and a ba- even a basket called Foxconn. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, among others. Um, Which, to be clear, it's not like this is a popular misconception some people have, not people on here, but Foxconn <laughs> is a Taiwanese mega corporation. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Um, but a lot of, but hell, a lot of their facilities are in China. Um, most of them are not in Taiwanese territory. Um, TSMC has. <laughs> they have fabs outside of Taiwan, um, things like that. And the problem that you run into ultimately is that this is a single point of failure. And this is why second sourcing used to exist in the first place. This is why um, the military contracting process used to require second sourcing because they were like we don't want to be beholden to any one supplier who could you know fall over and die at any point or you know be nuked out of existence we need you know redundancy in our supply chains and that's leaving money on the table you remember how i talked about how um they, uh, the deregulators whined about, um, like, you know, um, maintenance infrastructure all being quote unquote gold plated because they actually paid maintenance on it, um, and you know, reserved money to like pay for infrastructure and infrastructure upgrades and maintenance and all that, up, you know bullshit that like isn't making a shareholder money um that's what happened and biden and it's not just biden a lot of like the u.s military a lot of the um a lot of commercial concerns have realized that if nothing else having one country do everything no matter how benevolent they are towards you, no matter how in their interests they are, they act like you cannot build a functioning global supply chain on just one country vendor. You need more than that. Uh-huh. Um, and so, so it's like... And I think what, there's an... I think there's what he added- needs to do is like, figure out how... How bad is the situation? How how many single points of failure do we have in our political supply chains? And the answer is probably going to be pretty bad. Yeah, and I think and there's so another layer this... of fucked up shit in this too. Is that we have intellectual property laws? Like, how can you like? Because I mean, think of like intellectual property laws. It's not about incentivizing innovation. Ultimately, it's about rent seeking. Like, Doc, yeah. can you um, explain what rent seeking is? Well, that's where you get to a situation where you're making your money off of owning a thing. It's like the Saudi government running entirely off of oil revenues. It's not because they're actually investing in new productive capacity. 
they're just going, right, we make scads of money off of owning this thing that's essential to life, so fuck you. Um, so, let me think, so that's basically rent-seeking. So what intellectual property is, it's not about innovation. It's basically, if you have, like, all these different, you know, patents on, you know, this technology or this or that technology, this method or that method, like, how you do this or how you do that, whatever, like, if you own the patents, like, you can rent-seek out of the wazoo you can char- you can make fees huge fees that will likely start lawsuits that drag on for years i mean you can just like look at these big fights that have happened between like technology mega corporations because they're all like rent seeking from each other and nobody wants to cooperate like it's not just that our chi- supply chain is fucked up but the entire legal system has incentivized this really, really exploitative rent-seeking that makes it harder, not easier, to have redundancy. Like, what was the term that you used, Miss Silver? Like, how, like, you know, the way they used to do things in the, in the electronic industry, just having, like, a second supplier? Is that what it is? The second supplier? Um, second sourcing. Yeah, second sourcing. Like, how can you do second sourcing when, like, the when like the people you want to do second sourcing from are getting charged money out of the wazoo so like you know somebody has a monopoly and like where they can just like charge you know a lot cheaper and basically control the market until everybody else collapses yeah yeah like, until um like for example um let's take the um the basic way the the instruction set that powers modern computers, as we think of them. Like, Apple ended up moving away from x86, which Intel basically invented it, and AMD invented an extension atop of for 64-bit. Basically, there are only three suppliers of x86 chips in the world that I mean, aside from, like, Vortex, but they've, they've basically got, like, some old legacy license from Intel for that because they don't want that business anymore. Um, there are three licensees, and only two are licensed to see the entire um, instruction set as it exists. Um, ARM basically sells um, their instruction set to like you know anybody who would pay um but as far as like you know implementing your own x86 chip if you want to implement like anything remotely modern um you've basically got to own a license on all of the intel and emt patents over like the past 20 fucking years and or you have to build your own innovation like, you have to build your own system, and the amount of, like, money that goes into that, the amount of R&D, mm-hmm. in order to make sure, like, a lot of this money, like, the system, the technology is already there, but, like, in order to, like, f- e- like, you have to do, but a lot of the cost comes in, you know, making it work just right, so it skirts over the edge of, like, patent law, that you don't la- land up yeah. in legal trouble. Yeah, because of, like, patent trolls and such. Yeah, how does this come thing is we brought this up for a reason y'all remember that um it was because the hibernian his supply chain investigation might affect 
No, just it's just the other not terrible thing Biden is doing that actually might oh. have positive benefits. But you know, fucking over um, the Tories is also fun. He hasn't done that recently. I think that gets us to our last word, which comes back to <laughs> fucking Joe. Because, yeah, so, all the sports ball folks yeah. have been quite rightly calling his shit out. Whether it's, you know, reopening camps for babies on the border, or totally waffling with ice, or, like, pushing for school reopenings. But now he's most recently, like, really going the mile on our turf by backpedaling on raising the minimum wage. He he keeps just wanting to take the L. It's like, there's something instinctual about the Democrat that they don't like winning at all. It's like they they basically just refuse to do anything that would, you know, validate anyone's trust in them. <laughs> like, you know, passive minimum wage increase. No, it's gotta be gradual, and it's gotta be for like a mere 15 bucks an hour, and um, you might not even get it because um, Joe Biden wants, I guess he wants to focus on I don't, I don't even know what's going like, on in fucking Biden's head anymore. We still I don't haven't passed this guy. Like COVID release hasn't even passed yet. But let's mm-hmm. remember that we are still like, how long since checks go out the door? If you give me a Senate majority, how long since those words were uttered? And yeah, he he fucking said the next day. My question is, when am I getting my $2,000? Wait, it's not... And don't give me this plus bullshit. Like, I want $2,000 in one check. I don't want to wait. I want it ASAP. There was promises that were made. It's almost like, as Democrats do, they're backing on their promises. Yeah. Yeah. From failure to failure. And they're doing it in a way that's just like, oh, hi, the economy is just disintegrating right now. Texas is frozen yeah. over. Nothing to see here. Yeah, super normal. Super normal. Um, no reason to, no reason to like, be out, be like working even like a normal level of work. You know, time for another, uh, time for another recess. Get another recess. You know, it's just, they're bad. Um, they, they're just allergic to God. It's total Versailles bullshit. They can't do what's necessary because the think tanks and the pundits will make funny faces at them. We were. We knew we got Vera fucking I I still believe that we can 
you can still get near a tandem in as a cabinet position. Like, it, it's it's possible, and I think we're gonna get it done, guys. Let's <laughs> love near a tandem. Somehow, yeah, that's getting priority over minimum wage increase. COVID relief, and Biden's already privately telling governors and mayors that, yeah, don't worry about that $15 an hour wage thing. It might take a while. Never mind that every fucking country that's passed living wages for minimum wages has mostly benefited, and it's not like, you know, fast food up and left Australia when they did it. Um, in, in Australia, actually, um, there's 99% unemployment, and a Big Mac costs 500 um, the loony left won't tell you this, and the, uh, the evil, uh, globalist governments are covering up the statistics. But if you talk to any Australian, they will tell you that, um, everyone is dead. <laughs> <laughs> also, Helen, you don't have to, you don't have to say loony le- left. You can say my name, Harley Quinn. I am <laughs> the loony left. Yeah, so I guess that's uh, that's this week's episode. We tried to let y'all know about the stuff that happened. We read things. Um, I guess so. Some of you don't need to know. Um, <laughs> totally, we do it all for you. Mm-hmm. We, 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 we chew up we chew up the words in our mouth and we spit them out so you can eat them in your bowls yeah we we are the mommy birds of the uh, <laughs> of the podcast uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're we eat this shit so you don't have to down into your right, I <laughs> um but yeah I mean obviously we've talked about how things seem really fucked up so like I mean, it seems like this situation that we're in right now, it's accelerating and get really, really bad. And, like, people say, like, oh, this is a time where, like, you know, the left is going to win. And um, it's not that this is the perfect time for the left, necessarily. This is the perfect time for organizing. So if if you're hearing all of this and thinking, like, well, what the fuck do I do? Like, get involved with organizing. Get involved with your local, like, community organizations. Like... You know, get involved with all the mutual aid networks. Like, that's what's been happening in Texas. And if you're working like, in essential industries or essential infrastructure, organize. Yeah. Like, look to what, you know, the Amazon, that, like, union and that's trying to, like, you know, get together at Amazon. Like, you know, look to that, too. Like the like, Alphabet Workers Union. Yeah. Organizing is the future. Unionizing is the future. Like, obviously, electoral politics is not going to save us. The ballot box is not going to save us. Congress is not going to save us. And most certainly not, like, Biden is not going to save us. The only thing that's going to save us is our own organizations and our own, our own labor, our own collectively organized labor power. So, yeah, this has been Chop Shop Economics. Good luck out there, everybody. Don't freeze to death, and don't run your car in your garage to keep warm. And if anybody has any uh, um, hyenas, I am looking for some new pets here. The hogs need some hyenas. 
but we read this shit so you don't have to and solidarity forever sending love to y'all yes. bye, bye.